It's Galatians 5, 16 to 26. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. There's a very common perception in our society today that the problems of our world can be fixed with one of two things, either improved laws or better education. You you see it all the time. You see it with government organisations. They think that tougher laws, stiffer penalties or fines, that that will control crime or fix the problem that we have in our society. You also see it with other groups and organisations who think that education will be the thing. If people understand the issues, then we'll be able to fix all of the problems in our world. It's quite a while ago now, but I saw a documentary on TV about the second wave of AIDS that swept through San Francisco. And the doctor who'd been given responsibility for trying to deal with this epidemic was being interviewed. And the reporter asked why this second wave had happened. And the reporter suggested that perhaps better education would be the thing that could help them with this problem. And the doctor looked at the interviewer and said, these people would be the best educated people in the world when it comes to the spread and transmission of AIDS. Lack of education is not the problem and better education is not the solution. Let me give you another example. A few years ago, one of the NRL teams, and this story could come up from pretty much any time, was going through a disastrous time, both on the field and off the field. Uh, They couldn't win a game on the field and they had this dreadful drinking culture and a number of players had been arrested and charged with different crimes related to their alcohol problems. So the players decided to call for a player summit. Just the players were going to get together and nut this out. Uh, And they decided that better education of the players and increased fines and penalties would fix the problem. Do you think that that worked? Well, the fact was they already had a code of conduct and they already had people who talked to them at the beginning of every year about how they needed to handle themselves. They were getting the education. They had all the rules in place. They didn't need any more. Rules and fines don't get to the heart of the problem. The problem is not an education problem. Now, that all relates to what we're looking at here in Galatians today. Paul's been saying that the old covenant has come to an end and it's been replaced by the new covenant that's come in Jesus. There was a problem with the old covenant. The problem wasn't the covenant itself and the problem wasn't God. 
But there was a problem. This is how the problem gets described in the book of Hebrews. For if there'd been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people. That's what was wrong with the old covenant. The people. God had promised a new covenant that would fix what was wrong with the old covenant. The new covenant would fix people's hard hearts. What God's people needed wasn't tougher penalties or laws. They didn't need better education of what the law said. What God's people needed was changed hearts. And that's the defining difference with the new covenant that comes in Jesus. God gives us his Holy Spirit. The standout difference between the old covenant and the new covenant is that God gives all believers his spirit. That's what the prophets had said was going to happen. This is what Joel said, or what God said through the prophet Joel. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And then Ezekiel says much the same thing. God's speaking again. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you. God's spirit is given so that we can live faithful lives in our relationship with God. Now, can I say that is incredibly good news But there's also an element where this is actually slightly bad news, I suppose, isn't it? It's good news because it's now possible for us to live faithful and obedient lives in our relationship with God. What the law was unable to do, God has done by giving us his Holy Spirit. The law was unable to make people live holy lives. But God's Spirit indwelling us can change us, can enable us to be his people. The downside, if I can call it that, is that it's now possible for us to live faithful and obedient lives in our relationship with God. And there are no excuses for ungodly behaviour. If we fail to live that faithful, obedient life, then it's because we've chosen not to. It's because we've made the choice that we've given in to our sinful nature, that we're not living according to the spirit that is at work in us. God has made it possible for us to live faithful and obedient lives. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that the Christian life is really always easy and if you stuff up, well, it's because you're terrible. Paul says that the Christian life's going to be a struggle. They're exactly the words that he uses. That there's a conflict that's going to go on in our lives. Paul says that if we're Christians, there are two forces that are at work now in our lives. There is our old sinful nature which is sadly still there, and there is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you are someone who has your trust in Jesus, then God promises that you have the Holy Spirit at work in you. But unfortunately, as long as you draw breath in this life, you will also have that sinful nature at work in you. And there's going to be a tension between those things, between what the spirit wants and what your sinful nature wants. 
We're going to experience that tension. We're going to feel that conflict within us. Every single person here this morning has that sinful nature at work in them. It's genetic. It's inherited. You got it from Adam and Eve. You're probably thinking, well, I'm sure that there are some people who have it more at work in their life than I do in mind. Well, can I say, quit kidding yourself? It's at work in you. And sadly, the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. Have a look at verse 17, chapter 5, verse 17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. If you have God's spirit at work in you, then you will know that struggle. You will know that tension. Paul gives his list of characteristics of what that nature will be. The second list we know quite well, which is the fruit of the spirit list. But there's a kind of another list, which is really the fruit of the sinful nature. He actually mentions 15 things in the passage. I've got them up there on the screen. He says that these are actually the outworking of your sinful nature. These are the characteristics that will be obvious in the sinful nature. Verse 19 is where the passage comes from. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Fifteen things in there. I think there's a bit of a strange thing that happens with this list. He starts and finishes with things that we'd have no difficulty at all saying were sort of sinful things or wrong things. Those four, five things at the beginning and the last two, sexual immorality, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, drunkenness, orgies, yeah, we'd probably tick those off pretty quickly. No problem agreeing with what Paul says there. They clearly belong to the sinful nature. Clearly things that we should be avoiding. But those ones in the middle, well, they're a little bit different, aren't they? Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, envy, factions. We're probably a little bit more familiar with some of those things. Now, here are things that you and I are more likely to uh, be aware of, perhaps even in our own lives. Are there any in there that you can identify with? Any things that you think might be a little noticeable from time to time in your life? Not too many of us are going to struggle with witchcraft, but I bet there's plenty amongst us who will struggle with jealousy or envy or selfish ambition or possibly even discord. I have no doubt Paul's touching on problems that he knows obviously exist in the church in Galatia. One of the things that he kind of mentions three times in the passage is discord, dissension and factions. I think he clearly knows that that's something that's already happening in the church in Galatia. But it's something that's also all too common in churches today. It's always depressing when you see it. It's terrible to see people who want to split a church just because of their own selfish ambition. That the church may be heading in one direction but they want to say, well, it should be heading in a different direction. And then there are things like jealousy and envy and fits of rage or what's better translated uncontrollable anger. 
They may seem small time for things like witchcraft and orgy, but they can still be very serious problems within the life of a church. In fact, the factions and discords in churches often begin with jealousy and envy and selfish ambition. But Paul leaves us in no doubt what we are to do with those desires. Verse number 24 in the passage that you've got. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The sinful nature may not be dead, but we're to continue putting it to death. We're to make sure that our lives aren't characterised by those things. Now that we know God, we don't want the sinful nature to have the upper hand. And God has given us his spirit so that the sinful nature doesn't have the upper hand in our lives. In contrast to the sinful nature, Paul talks about the things that are the fruit of the Spirit. Probably the best known part of the book of Galatians. He lists these nine things that should characterise our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance as it says in our new translation. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. But we need to notice something important. I'm not sure if you've ever seen this before. These are not nine fruits of the Spirit. It says at the beginning of this passage, verse 22 of this verse, but the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. This is not a pick and choose list. You don't say, I'll have this fruit and this fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is all nine of those things. So we don't want to misunderstand this verse. This is what the Spirit is doing in all of us. All of those things and more. And they should be things that characterise our lives. They should be things that other people actually notice about us. They're things that actually make us different to other people. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. I can't help but think that Paul's having a little bit of a dig at the Judaizers with the last part that he says there at the end of verse 23. Against such things there is no law. You don't need a law because God's spirit is at work in our lives. Have a look at that list again, verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. That's what God's Spirit is at work doing in you. They're the characteristics that ought to be obvious in your life. But you know what? Those nine characteristics are what God is like as well. And more specifically, we see them so clearly in Jesus, don't we? All nine of those things. You read through the Gospels and you you could almost pin one of those words onto each of the actions or words of Jesus. That's what God is doing in us. The Spirit is at work in us to conform us to the image of God's Son. That's what Paul says in Romans. The Spirit is helping us to have the same attitude as Jesus. That's what Paul says to the Philippians. 
And I love the challenge that he gives at the end here in verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. We need to keep in step with the Spirit and what the Spirit is working to do in our lives. Paul says at the beginning of this section that the Christian life will be a struggle, that it will be a conflict, that our sinful nature is still going to be at work in us, but we have the Holy Spirit that is at work in us as well. And there will be a tension that we will feel from time to time. So let me ask you, how are you going with that struggle? How are you feeling about that tension? Is your life more and more showing the fruit of the Spirit? Or can you say that there's not too much of the fruit showing at this point and perhaps a little bit too much of your sinful nature at work? Let Let me finish with a challenge and an encouragement. Here's the challenge. Paul lists off the characteristics of the sinful nature. It's not meant to be an exhaustive list, I'm sure. He doesn't think that there's only those 15 things that are characteristics of a sinful nature. But from the list that he does present, are there things that you think might still have an upper hand in your life? Paul didn't come up with this list as a bunch of hypotheticals. He knows that these are the kinds of things that we will struggle with. It's amazing to see how many of these things people are actually willing to overlook or downplay in the Christian life. I've seen people in Christian organisations who display the most terrible outbursts of anger. But their friends will say, oh, he's just letting off a little bit of steam. They'll continue to apologise for it. But we need to call it for what it is, that it's our sinful nature that's at work. It's wrong and it means that we're not keeping in step with the Spirit. I've seen people who've worked actively at being divisive within the life of a church, sowing the seeds of division and dissension. But where their friends would try and say, oh, but it's just a difference of opinion. Let's not make excuses for our sinful nature. We have God's spirit at work in our lives. Let's make sure that we are working to put to death that sinful nature. But let me finish on a positive note. It's an incredible thing to look around our church and see the fruit of the Spirit so evident in the lives of people within the life of our church. To see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. I can think of people who've shown incredible patience in the way that they deal with others. Patience that helps me to realise that my patience probably isn't quite there yet. I can think of people who've shown the most remarkable kindness to others in this church and they haven't done it so that they would be thanked, they haven't done it so that they would be noticed, very often they've done it in a way that no one would notice. I see people who are showing extraordinary faithfulness I'm sure that you can look around and see that fruit at work in the lives of people in this church. And we should make sure that we thank God for the way that he is at work by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is at work in us by his Spirit 
changing us, growing us in our relationship with him, growing us and transforming us more and more in the likeness of his son. That's where we'll see the fruit. We'll see it in the lives of others. And we should ask God to help us to show it more and more in our own lives, to show more clearly the fruit of the Spirit. But let me close with Paul's closing words in this section. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit.